go. And so we shall go. Go Ray, and shall. Mike, Good morning. how's it going, guys? Excellent. Excellent. How are you, Nate? I am living the dream. I went and played a state tournament this last weekend and ran a booth and... Those are just long weekends, but I don't have to tell you two about that because you guys were doing the same thing, basically. Well, in a nutshell. <laughs> How'd you do? Uh, we took fifth, sixth in the team, and I didn't, I forgot to sign up for the singles because I'm an idiot. So I guess I didn't play any of the singles. <laughs> but what can you do? I actually withdrew from a state tournament this weekend. Oh, you didn't play when you got back Saturday night? You didn't play I was too Friday night? You didn't play Saturday? No, I was too tired. I thought about it, and I was just like, man – I'm already pretty worn down from, you know, Roanoke and then, and then uh, Norfolk back to back. And I was just like ready to kind of just chill for a little bit. So, you know, it's, if, if you don't mind me jumping in here, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I don't know if you guys have seen the, um, the little kind of docu video of, of Jason Shaw where, where yeah. Carl Boyce follows him around. And he talks a lot about, you know, uh, the grind of traveling and how it wears you down and things like that. And um, so if you give me some perspective, because, you know, you were at Roanoke in the international back to back. And then you think about some of these guys, you know, the, the, the Kazakas and the Graves and the, uh, the, the Jasons or whatever, who are working on like eight or nine weeks in a row of this right. in various continents forget countries or cities of various continents what can you give us some you know idea of what that might be like yeah i think it's part of the reason why you see a lot of these guys play such an emphasis on like a gym routine or like yeah. a self-maintenance routine like you know for the most part you see a lot of them in the morning going on the treadmill getting outside getting a little workout in trying to like create a, a structure for themselves that helps them not feel as disoriented yeah and it helps you get acclimated and you know those little investments in yourself help keep you kind of going but definitely like you know it's it's a it's a physical toll especially when you're traveling across the globe like i haven't right. even done that yet really and these guys are you know like john mora i mean he's had such a crazy schedule he's you know gone to guitar and then Vietnam and then back to Virginia, you know, a lot of these guys have kind of gone through that yeah. gamut. And yeah. then some of the guys had Austria in between and then they came back to the U S so like physical preparation is one thing. Obviously it takes a lot of mental energy to compete at that level. And then if you're competing and having a lot of win, a lot of like close matches, but not getting there deep in yeah. the tournament, that's, that's a mental tax too, you know, that you're paying, which is, why I think I'm glad that I've seen some of the players this past year, Jason included, talk about, you know, th their struggles with mental health. Yeah. Um, you know, Jason had that that Golden Break podcast episode with Emily, which I thought was very um, endearing to him. And I think, like, I, I, I have had conversations with friends of mine who are in the amateur circles or even, like, just kind of getting started. And even, in, like, just, like, league circles, right? And right. I'm like, I promise you what you're going through is happening at every spectrum of this game, skill-wise. It doesn't go away because you become a 700 Fargo or an 800 Fargo. It gets worse. It gets yeah. harder. And I've had this conversation repeatedly with men, with, with women players, with, with juniors. And they, you know, they talk about, oh, I'm really struggling right now. And I, I kind of contemplating quitting, you know? And I'm like... I had somebody send me that message this morning. Yeah, it, it doesn't <laughs> literally this morning. <laughs> it doesn't Everybody get easier goes through it, right? Yeah, everybody's got to go through it. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't get easier. It gets maybe harder as you move up the skill level because now there's more eyes, there's more attention, there's more resistance. It means more to people. But this is a universal theme in individual sports, and you have to make do with that, make peace with that, and then choose to put your cues back together and do the work necessary to improve on the areas you need to improve on, whether they're mental or technical or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you see the guys, you know, you talk about putting all that time and effort in and maybe not getting across the line, losing some tight matches. And yeah. realistically, when you get through a tournament, there's probably only three or four guys that walk out of there feeling really good about themselves. It's you know, brutal. someone yeah. surprising who makes a final four happy as shit, whatever it is, but yeah. everybody else. And, and, 
in a, in a series of events like we've just been through, they don't even have any time really to take that day or two to themselves to recollect their thoughts and get yeah. their, their minds straight again. It's got to, it's got to be brutal. It is Not brutal. unless I could do that from the backseat of a car with six other people in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, so, uh, yeah, I think this year we've really gotten to see what kind <laughs> of, uh, um, toll this kind of schedule takes on you. I mean, in yeah. other sports, it's that way as well, but they're seasonal, right? They yeah. Get, they get six months, they get four months, they get whatever it is. Right. Uh, pool starts January 1st and it reconvenes the next January 1st and there's no time off in between unless you make it for yourself. Right, which right. is why you think, I think you saw like Filler didn't go to Hanoi. And from my understanding, he was just, he was really worn down. He went to China Open and to Qatar Open and won both. So it wasn't like he was hurting for money, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe he just wanted the time to kind of just... Well, during Hanoi, he went to Slovenia and won that tournament. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so there's that, you know? And so it's like, you know, you, you see guys, especially if you're winning, you know what I mean? It makes it easier to say, I'm just going to, you know, take a breather here and not do the whole 10-hour flight, you know, back and forth thing. The other side, he's got to say, listen, these, these hot streaks don't last forever. I'm riding this sucker till it drops. Sure. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's one of those. And like we've seen players recently really catch fire. Like it's hard for me to say that Yap right now isn't the best player in the world. at the moment. He's 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 right up there. That's for sure. You look at his 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 last three, you know, three, two, three months and there isn't a final four. He hasn't been it. Yeah. I mean, he gets to the. He gets to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Cole puts right. on a historical set on him, and it right. takes that to beat him. And then he goes and, you know, beats Federer three times in three well, times. He won the Michigan Open right before that, too. So yeah, he, he, finished second, he finished second to Victor. Right. Oh, yeah. Sorry, yes. Yeah. So he got second yeah, to Victor. Second to the, Victor. Yeah. Right. In yeah. the Michigan but, Open, yeah. Right. Yeah. Another and finals then, he made it to, though. Right. Right. And then he, right. And, and then he wins the Roanoke, and he wins the – the international back to back, and he beats Federer in the finals of one and the semifinals. Yeah, he finished of the third other. in the big foot ten ball. Yeah, he's in, so in, in in Norfolk as well, and I think he finished top ten in the European Open. I mean, you right. know, he's had a he's had a pretty good year. And I think last year also, around this time, he kind of peaked as well. Yeah. So I think his game is just in a really good spot now. I've, I've watched him play. I got to play him in Roanoke, and he beat me as bad as he beat Shane. Like he just. You know, he he doesn't care. He's non-discriminant about his performance. He's just going to play <laughs> play perfect, and it's going to take you playing more perfect to beat him. You know? But when you talk to him, he always got you know he's kind of effortish, and he he, he always got right, all yeah. the roles. He always gets lucky. Uh, he didn't feel that comfortable. You know, he wished he could play better, or whatever. Yeah. And meanwhile, he just keeps rolling through one match. Yes, not nice yeah. as you know. You couldn't wish it for for a nicer guy than that. He's super gracious, and he's so humble. That it's like it's hard not to just root for the guy. You yeah, know? and uh, yeah, it's it's great to see him just kind of going and and playing world class pool and just continuing to carry it over. Yeah, uh, yeah, just awesome to watch for sure. Yeah, and and it's funny like at the international you see some of the older guys like Kim Davenport and, and Mike Siegel get a get a look at him and like oh wow this guy <laughs> yeah, this guy plays great oh he did something a little bit different here than I would but. Man, yeah. you know, plays fantastic. I was, I was talking to Kim when I was there, and he said, "I got to tell you, I watch. You know, when we when we played events, there were you know eight guys, maybe ten guys who could win the event. You watch the talent out here now, and it really looks like there's thirty guys that if they won the event, you wouldn't say it was a total shock because they play at that level. Absolutely. Um, so, do you think the numbers at at thirty? I think that's higher, that's probably a little bit. I I I think it's. Well, you know, you pick someone in the top 24 and say they could win the international, none of it would surprise me. Right. Um, you know, some obviously surprise you more than others, but, you know, sure. in those days, if someone beyond number 12 won a tournament, it was Tommy Kennedy winning the U.S. Open, and that's, you know, happened like yeah. once a decade. You know, so um, so yeah, it's just you know, it's just the, the talent's unbelievable. You saw with uh, with Dang, uh, you know, winning winning earlier this year. What was that? Was that the UK or was that Spanish uh, Open? 
I think it was the Spanish Open. Spanish, okay. Yeah. So you know, you just was, and where would where would he have been on your you know top twelve list? Would right. have been in the top twelve. Uh, probably top one hundred and twelve. <laughs> <laughs> and so. and and you know what's sick? If you go back and look at the scores from the qualification round, losers qualification to get into the final sixteen, that round there was three champions who all got blanked 10-0 yeah. in, in that event, which is wild because it's alternate break, right? Yeah, crazy. And there was three players who got hit with a 10-0 scoreline. Yeah. 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 So it's – it's and, and those are all players that are, you know, playing great pool. They're at the yeah, final right. – they're on the cusp of getting into the single elimination. So uh, – and a lot of competitive matches too, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of like – I don't know. For, for me, you know, looking at the international, I really liked – kind of I felt like this is one of those tournaments that's probably the most for the players as far as how how everything is formatted and laid out um, compared to any other tournament that I played in this year and I, I kind of got the sense that Pat is one of these guys who is a player because he's a you know 100 ball runner in straight pool I think he's a 200 ball runner in straight pool sure. um, has a long history of, of recording the top matches and knows what the players want what puts them in in good form and the arena is immaculate all the outside tables the conditions are perfect commentary you mean all the outside tables are perfect like one thing for me that i think other no other tournament has done all year is every round when you're done there's somebody who's bringing a fresh set of balls that have been polished and ready to go for the next round to every table so they have like two or three people working on that the whole tournament yeah yeah. Who is just like as soon as you finish a match, they're it's a players out. tournament for sure. Oh, it's it always for the players. Um, yeah. And even know, the, it, like like the schedule too, like the time. You can really prepare for your match. It feels like what Wimbledon is like. You know what I mean? Where it's you know, you're scheduled out, you know, there's some time between matches. So let's say you're gonna play the next round, it's a big match. You can schedule your time through the day to to hit your peak for that match. You know what yeah. I mean? And if you stay yeah. on the winner side, you get plenty of kind of like break time through that where you can right. kind of create a routine for yourself. Right. right. And I think players who are new to that really enjoy that because they can say, oh, man, I really got my, my routine down. I know what I can expect. And if you stay on the winner side, it really benefits the players who are winning a yeah. lot. You, you don't really ever have to play a back-to-back -back match until you're on that, let, let's say, winner's qualification. You lose that match. Then you have to go into loser's qualification to try right. and qualify. I do uh, like that he that he's single elimination to the final sixteen, you know. Yeah, I, I've said a million times I'd like to be all the way to the final four, but um, you know, I, I I do like that that they keep those matches going, keep good players in it, make it you know that when it's when it's rolling the dice at sixty four, that to me is a little bit too early, but sure, um, I do like that he plays it down to at least sixteen for the for the single. I think that's also a thing that kind of caters to the players where you know they're allowed one freak match a fluke or you know yeah. maybe a bad set they just yeah. happen to have something go against them and you know you can recover from that and uh kind of protects the better players as well i think there's yeah. less variance yeah still still you're gonna have the best players getting to the to the end most likely and um you know i think maybe the one upstart from that event was maybe gerson you know who came out of maybe for other people who don't who don't know him like he's a you know tough tough player and, and is dangerous you know and uh had a lot of great wins and and yeah he he's so he's so entertaining to watch he's he so like, <laughs> he reminds he's, me of like i can make any instructional videos that for, with no. him, that's for sure he reminds me a little bit of like ishmael paez uh Moro, yeah, exactly. or uh, or rafael martinez kind of that like yeah. maybe it's like a hispanic thing but yeah yeah i mean he beat shane you know yeah. after which that was, was a rough, that, was a, that was a trap match right there. <laughs> was. I, I told anybody, like, if I had ball in hand on when I would want to play Shane strategically, it would be immediately after winning the Bigfoot 10 ball. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because he has Josh and the Bigfoot 10 ball and all that. And all of a sudden you got to play. And it was like 15 minutes later. He right. Had to, he had to queue up for. for he didn't even break his cues down. Yeah. He yeah. just had to walk over from the TV arena, right. set his stuff down, go to the bathroom, and, and then go play. Yeah. And Gerson's hitting balls, getting ready. And he came out strong and you know held on to the match. So yeah, yeah, that's you know that's tough. So that's the only other time you're playing back to back is if you're right. in the Bigfoot ten ball. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, did you fantastic. watch a lot of the matches, Nate? 
I didn't get to watch nearly as much as I wanted to since I was at that event all weekend playing. Oh, right. running yeah, booth, sure. so yeah. yeah. I watched I watched a good chunk of I mean Gerson, I uh it, have you guys met a nicer guy on the on the tour than Gerson too? Yeah, he's <laughs> just bringing him up. He's a yeah. sweet guy. Yes, yeah, yeah. sweet guy. I speak Spanish so I can talk to him in his native language, which is fun. And uh he's got a lot of support from Latin American uh fans and players and he, you know, Whenever he comes to the States, one of my friends from Miami is, is usually with him, kind of like stewarding him around. And they were doing his social media stuff and taking clips of him and posting them online, which is great for yeah. his, you know, his fans in South America. And, yeah. You know, I mean, the kid's a champ. He won the Texas Open 10 ball last year, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, you might, might be right. Yeah. And so, you know, he's he's up there. He's a high seven seven eighty Fargo, I think. Yeah, so, 787, yep. Yeah. yeah, he's a good, good player. Champ, yeah. yeah. And only going up. Yeah. Right. I, I still remember about a, maybe it was about a year, year and a half ago. He was, uh, somebody brought him up to Beloit, Wisconsin to the Carom Room. And uh, they were trying to pass him off as like a, like a decent regional player that was like coming yeah. up in Chicago area. <laughs> and uh, like nobody's ever heard of him around the area, but like he's just an up and coming player and he's just playing sure. all the top players from like Wisconsin and Chicago and Minnesota. And he's just smashing everybody. And then yeah. it's, it's almost like a, you know, a lesser version of the Efren when he, you know, came to yeah, yeah. Texas, it's a little bit lesser of that, but then, you know, yeah. people found out who he was and his yeah. action. His action. Yeah. His, his his action is not now so, <laughs> after beating do, Alex on the TV table. So I do want to. You know, Laura mentions in here. You know, how do you compare Earl Siegler Efren dominating with a short field that could beat them versus guys sitting with so many top players? You know, I, the one thing I would say about that, as long as we're talking about guys like like Kim and Siegel and, and that, is that those guys were phenomenal players, and mm-hmm. and elite. the standard of yeah, the elite at that time was as strong as at any time in the game. I yeah. mean, when you went every, you know, and they all went to every event. So when you went to every pro event in the U.S., it was Siegel and it was Varner and it was Hopkins and it was Rempe and it was Miserac and it was Buddy Hall and it was Efren and it was Kim Davenport. I mean, you're talking, Hunter, you, you yeah. could run through 12 guys that are, legitimate in, that are in the Hall of Fame who yeah. all played in every field that they played in for 15 tournaments in a year or whatever the case was. Um, So, you know, those guys, it's not like they could just sleep through the first four rounds. And then, you know, that was all double elimination all the way to the final. Right. Um, They were grueling events. Triple tough. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I mean, those guys were, um, you know, that was, that was, that was the golden age of American pool. Yeah, and they, they were they were as good as anybody, and you know, with you, you, again, it's like it's like most sports, you really can't compare eras because the equipment changes, every you know, so much changes. Uh, yeah, you know. it, it was funny for me to listen to Mike talk, <laughs> and hear here because I, I I know what's happening. He's so mapped to what he had to, how he oh, shot the yeah. ball, the conditions he was in. Yeah, and certain times he would call things so like really, really triple smart, paying attention to certain details about when the safety is acceptable versus when it's not and why. Those kind of things, if you listen to, it's like you can gain a lot of information from that. But then then you hear him talk about certain positions where he, he talks a lot about wanting to use inside English or certain spins that he's just not mapped to the new conditions where the new right. conditions are so right. slick, so yeah. clean. And that's those, the thing, you know. That's not there, right? <laughs> Shannon so. was asking, let's talk about dinner Mike had with, with the mouth. And the oh, one yeah. thing I will bring up from my dinner with Siegel is that the one thing that he did talk about relative to um, different eras of playing, he said, listen, you forget break boxes and, and smaller packs or whatever. If you want to change the game, go back to really slow cloth and make guys have to really muscle the ball around the table and right. really work. He said that changed the game. That's why you can't to him, that's the yeah. biggest differentiation between his era and this era. Isn't cues, right. isn't you know shiny balls, it isn't pocket size, it isn't where you break from. It's it's how the cloth affected how you could play a rack. He said, now right. you just you know you can just you, you spin a ball around seven rails and you know you could get it through a you know a pinhole if you need to. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so he said, I'd love to see these guys, you know play on slow cloth. And I've always, I've talked about how I want 
some of these majors to differentiate themselves from one another instead of being, you know, the Spanish, the UK, the European, the US yes, Open, the Oil Open, all like carbon copy tournaments. Change them up a little bit. And one of the ways I always thought would be change format, pick one tournament, make it double elimination all the way to the final four. Um, and then have a step ladder final from there. And and which I think they used to do at certain big majors like the ESPNs. They used to do it that way. They could yeah, they did. They they ran they ran yeah. So um so you can do something like that. Or another option would be have a you know, change the change of condition. Have a really slow cloth on it and guys just can't whiz around the table like they're on ice skates. Uh, might be kind of fun. I mean, I don't I'm not a, admittedly, I'm not a player. So um I don't know I, if I wouldn't mind. would scoff at that, but I'd love to see something like that. And then, then you know what you're looking at as far as what makes this different, this tournament different than that one, tougher than yeah. this one in somebody's eyes, whatever it is. And to your would, point, Mike, I think uh, just before we transition away from that topic, I think whenever I talk about the old players versus the new players, I always say that, you know, they've optimized for their conditions on both sides of it, right? Yes, of the, course. The new players have so, like the, the, the faster cloth allows for kind of larger margins of error and the slower cloth and especially the form the game straight pool back then forced you to play things tactically perfect or, or else you would get punished. You would, you would succumb to the inefficiency in your shot selection right. because of the conditions and because of the format. So straight pool penalizes you for not being on the right side of the ball, mm -hmm. nine ball. You can, you can, you can, you can stroke your way in yeah. and out of it. Right. Yeah. So it's not as it's not as a much of a penalty for in, for yeah. in, imprecision, which is why I think the old players were tactically superior. They're more efficient and they're more cognizant of those things because of the mold that they came out of. Yeah. Now, when you alleviate that pressure because the cloth is softer, right? It's faster, and the you know you balls are better, and they were you know now you start feeling how high these guys can fly basically you know and do things with their ability and with their stroke and with the equipment you start feeling you know those improvements over time because now like you're seeing them like oh i hate the jump cue i hate the jump cue well the jump cue is just forcing you now to play a different kind of safety right so it's not just getting behind the ball it's not good enough anymore you would right. do it it's a different kind of safety but it also you know allows yeah. guys to get out of poor position Perhaps. play right. at times <laughs> right and so like when when I review positions with like my coach and stuff, we call it dogging it. If you don't freeze them to the ball, right. or if you leave a jump shot, that's your dogging right. it. You know, right. and that's right. what that's what we should start doing. It's not a good safety, right? Right. And, you're, right. and they're learning that when they see guys just pounding in these jump shots and following the cue ball two cushions and or drawing uh, or drawing a shot for like you left the jump, you dogged it. It's a bad safety. <laughs> so let's. But back then it wasn't a bad safety because they didn't have the jump cues. So. Right. You see where both sides add to the game, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just different of. games. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, and I wouldn't mind branching off that a little bit too, because uh, I remember watching um, coping uh, Chung on his way to winning the U.S. Open, and I was kind of watching it with somebody, and they're like, "Why is every single shot that they look at, or that coping or coping Chung shoots at, is like really, really difficult?" And they're not really difficult. The cue ball is just exactly where it needs to be on those tables to, to not have to force the cue ball around the table. Right. So he's taken more of a, a 60 degree cut on a ball so that he can have the angle to get back down table naturally without right. having to, you know, force it forward with three rails with inside position or something like that. And, uh, you know, those shots, you just can't pound the ball around on these tables with this you know, four inch pockets, even if it is sliding new cloth, it's, you just, there's just no room for error. So the, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the players who are having success, setting up with more angle, making sure that they have the angle that they need to be able to get the cue ball to wherever they need to be, as opposed to, you know, coming up a little bit more shallow on the angles, which is no problem because the players can stroke the ball 13 cushions. And that's kind of the way, you know, 90s pool and 80s pool is played. Right. The players just seem to be better with their cue ball, keeping it in a, in a line where they, you know, they always have the angle to get wherever they need to get to. Nobody's better than Buddy Hall. Nobody, nobody. I mean, <laughs> my favorite Buddy Hall story. It's not even close. Buddy Hall was so. Yeah, I I remember, and I've told the story before, but I remember going to a tournament early on in my thing, and I was watching guys like Siegel and Rempe because the first big tournament I went to was the straight pool tournament in New York, 
and they had those wide stances and the long fluid strokes and they were so stylish and they flipped the ball around and fire in nine foot shots and and it was fantastic i remember going to uh you know one of the first pure nine ball events and everybody was like well you got to go watch buddy hall and so I went and watched Buddy Hall play a match, and I watched Buddy Hall play another match. And I remember going up to one of the pro players there and said, I don't get what the big deal is with Buddy Hall, but he talks about how great Buddy Hall is. I, I never saw – every shot is like, you know, straight in three feet. I mean, how yeah. you know, how I, I have not seen how good he is yet. And it right. took me a while to realize that that's – that, you know, that's exactly what they were talking about. Yeah, it's that's the whole point. It's like it's so easy, right? Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, no, Man. Buddy Hall was was always exactly where he needed to be. And because you, you know, it wasn't 60 degree cuts because you couldn't whip the ball around like that. He was he was dialed. Yeah, he he, he was amazing. He's gross. My, yeah. my my favorite nine ball player ever is Buddy. So yeah. What else you got, Nate? Well, well, why don't you uh take over about the Hall of Fame? Because obviously Neil's fine this past weekend was inducted into the Hall of Fame. We haven't really talked too much about that yet. I'd like to hear your take on the event, how it went, and all that good stuff. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, you know, it was a it was a big a big crowd. Um, you know, really packed that room in as as many as we could fit in there. Um, and Neil's it was really cool because he was there with his uh, he was able to bring over his wife and his two daughters and his mother um, and his younger brother. He's got a brother who's twenty five. My like, Jesus. <laughs> It's Neil's 41, 42, whatever, whatever it is, at least 44, maybe. Uh, but, um, but anyways, he, he had a lot of family and friends there, uh, which was great. And, uh, he did something a little bit different, which was he had a slideshow and his, his talk was over a slideshow and it wasn't, here's me holding this trophy. Here's, there were slideshows that, that, uh, he was able to discuss a certain part of his life and his career um, and add meaningful insight into why this period was so important to him. And, um, and he was, you know, he's so, he's so passionate and articulate and all that to start with that uh, then you put him in that situation. And he really, you know, like all the hall of famers, they choke up at some point and they get, and it's, it's one of the coolest things about, the Hall of Fame that I always tell people about is you got to go to the banquet and watch these guys because this is their opportunity to stand up in front of you and tell you uh, things about themselves you didn't know, struggles they had that you never knew about, uh, important parts of their life that you never knew about, that they never really talk about. Um, and so that was that's always a really cool part of it, and Neil's got a lot into that. And he was also very inspirational, as you know, Niels is by, you know, watching his videos and his, his you know, teaching class and things like he's, he, he really loves the game and, and is so passionate about it. And I talked to a couple of pro players after it was over who were like, you know, the, his talk was what I needed for my game to light a fire under my ass right now to get back out there and, and keep swinging harder. Uh, and so it was really, it was a, it was a fantastic. Uh, it was a fantastic night. Do you guys ever? Rec I, I think I remember last year you guys recorded them. Do you record? Yeah, them? yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. We should have uh, an edited version of the entire uh, banquet um, out in about a week, and we'll put it up on uh, the um, uh, BCA Hall of Fame Facebook page, and everybody, you know, share it there, and everybody can watch it. it it's, yeah. it's it was really good stuff. Yeah, I think I think going back to our original kind of point about you know struggles and players yeah. kind of going through it context and seeing somebody else having gone through it and winning a lot of times can be a, a something you can you can hang on to you know yeah so a lot of times people lose their why and they kind of get in the muck and mire of their process and they they get so into themselves that they they don't have or they don't look at people they can model after yeah, perspective for, yeah yeah for me that's always been a, a, a secret to just success in life and in and in sports too is finding people who have done it and figuring out what worked for them and and how you can incorporate those those tools and those approaches those mindset tricks to get yeah. across to get across the line you know yeah. so i mean Niels is very decorated obviously he's uh he's a legend in the game has done so much and it's cool to see him in this more, you know, still competing, but also in a more openly men, men, like mentorship kind of capacity right. where he's right. 
creating avenues for people to reach out to him and and leverage his experience and expertise and just even just being open about his journey i think that can add a lot of value for people who are in the process of you know restructuring their lives and trying to trying to climb this mountain that everybody's you know in, well, he, in pursuit of. he talked about how when he first came over here you know it was basically you know from the frying pan into the fire and and you know here's your own money and and you got to go out there and he said he, you know he, he had gotten to a certain level um and was feeling really good and then he had a real rough patch you know never you we talked about this before but he goes through those and this yeah. was at a very impressionable part of his career do i do this for my life or don't i do this for my life and he said that he had gotten to a point where he went up to his friend from ohio uh that he stayed with and said you know i really think i you know I think I'm kind of out of this. Um, you know, I don't think I can do this. I'm not, it's not working for me. And yeah. he said, no, you got to stay in it. He says, I, I'll, I'll put up a hundred bucks. You know, you play, you know, I'll get some, someone, I got someone for you to play and I've got the hundred bucks to put in and, and, and go give it another shot. And Neil's favorite player was always boosty. And, uh, and he said he, you know, he was there and he started warming up, playing on the table. And all of a sudden, Bustamante came walking over and he goes, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to watch Bustamante. I wonder what he's doing here or whatever. And then his friend told him, no, that's, that's who you're playing. Brutal. He played, oh he played three sets, races to nine. And it was very funny. Neil said, you know, the first set, I ran four. And we, you know, played around a little bit. Then I ran three. Then I, you know, played around a little bit, ran two. He says I won nine to nothing first set. And he said after that, Boosty just looked at him and he said he was wearing a baseball hat. And he took the hat and he just spun it around, and that was it. Boosty crushed in the last two sets. And he Gross. said, but even though I lost my hundred, he said that was a that turned a corner for me. That was that was you know okay. I'm I'm. I'm kind of getting close to this level. I can do this. And yeah. you know, so you talk about those seminal moments in your career, decision making, not the tournament you won, or it's decision making on whether to keep playing. Um, you know, that's all these players go through that. All these players have that day in their life. Yeah, that's really beautiful to hear because like even for me, I, I had a friend of mine reach out to me saying that he was really struggling mentally and stuff. And I, I he was kind of paraphrasing. A, you know, a message that I had sent in confidence to a friend of mine where I was like, man, I'm really bummed out right now because I didn't do well or I've had like poor tournament results, right? And I just kind of similar struggles and it reminded me of the cyclical pattern that, you know, everybody goes through. And it's funny because like in practice this last month, I've beaten, I've won three sets against guys close to 800 in out of tournament scenarios. And then in tournaments, I've just been not performing to that standard. And so I've been trying to figure out what it is, you know, and I can always look back. I'm like, well, I just won this match, this set nine, six, nine, seven against a guy who's a touring professional active right now, 800 Fargo. Like I, I know I can, you know, so what's the, what's the personal hang up, you know? And then basically I saw my friend reach out to me, his lower skill level. He went to an out in the U S amateurs this past uh, weekend that was also going on. He's like, man, I'm really upset. And I'm so, you know, so he's kind of, I'm like talking to myself, you know, in him a little bit. And I'm like, well, you just got to, so I'm trying to be empathetic to myself. Right. It's easy right. to be em empathetic to other people. It is. And, yeah. And it's, and it's easy to have, the same words. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's easy to, to not be empathetic to yourself. And I think that's the trap. We can have such high expectations of ourselves. Yeah. And not realize that it's it takes time it's a process and for different people it happens in different timetables you know it's right. just like you gotta have grace and just suck it up and continue to keep plugging away until you find the answer so agree it's tough 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 yeah so that's awesome that neil shared his journey i'm looking forward to seeing it whenever yeah no he was he uh, he was fantastic it was great not much of a surprise there is it what's that no that he was a, was an incredible speaker. No, no, yeah, he's he's uh, yeah, he was very. Um, he's also a good know. DJ. Did you guys know that? He's he's. Oh a, yeah, he's been a DJ yeah. forever. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Been, he's, I, he's, I followed him on Spotify recently. So you, <laughs> I'm yeah, gonna no, use that ever, whenever I play him. Another thing, most after, people don't know. After a couple of Moscone cups, after a couple yeah. of Moscone cups, uh, the the after party, all of a sudden they'll set up. A, you know, if there's a booth set up in there, he's in there spinning right yep. and, uh, yeah yeah good stuff another thing most players not 
I guess another thing some people don't know is he's actually blind in his left eye. Yeah. He only has one he only has vision in one of his eyes. Sick. Which is why he's Crazy, so rather right? dominant too, right? Yep. He's like he's like Earl, like super out there dominant on, on the right eye. And he's right handed, so it's pretty cool. Yep. Another yep. little uh Neil's fine trivia fact. Yep. And he's he's been with Longoni for a long time, right? Um uh twenty years. Twenty years, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't, cool you don't see uh, that either. Pierluigi Longoni was there. He flew in from Italy for it, which was very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great relationship when you've got something like that, you know, for that for that period of time. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and they've just recently come out with Carbon as well, because he's playing with Carbon now. Right. And he's been a wood chef guy forever. So they, yeah. they must have just quietly started adding Carbon to their... Because, you know, you usually see Carbon announcements coming from other brands. I haven't really seen anything in Long- from Langoni, maybe because they have more of a European kind of basis instead of or a strong... European, more three-cushion, more, yeah. Which is right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Which is good because the you know, Karen players are going to Carbon as well now. Yeah, um, yeah very cool. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to share about the uh, the Hall of Fame dinner then? Uh, no, the steak was excellent. Um, <laughs> my, my martini was a little watered down, but that's all right. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was a great night. Always is. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll look forward to next year when uh, uh, it was funny. You know, the little tidbit from this <laughs> natural put together a, a nice little um, uh, Neil's video, you know, of meals over the years, early Moscone Cups, early World Cups, you know, World Championships, things like that, and a lot of film clips. And Shane was on the, the butt end of, you know, three or four of those, <laughs> three or four of those winning nine balls and whatever. And uh, and every time his, his, the video would, you know, he would come up in another video, the room would start laughing and looking at him because Shane was there as well. And, uh, you know, I commented after that, I said, well, you know, everybody can take their laps at Shane right now, but next year, everyone in this room is going to be on the, the, the wrong end of the Shane. Every last one of those Hall of Famers is going to get a, everyone's gonna, gonna get a gonna clip. Everyone's going to be on the wrong end of a Shane clip next year. Getting roasted. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that'll be that uh, you got to assume that he's, that he's a, a shoe in for next year. So, oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. He's, he's got, he's going to have to earn my vote still. I'm not, I'm not yeah. really sure. He might, he might have to win, well, he might have to win something else from now until then. I know we need a bigger room than they have at the, uh, yeah, first at, ballot at, at the Sheraton. That's for sure. I'll definitely be there for that one. I think for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I did want to add too. There was another notable event. I just mentioned it, but APA just yeah, did the, their. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just did the U.S. Amateur uh, Nationals. It was in Orlando, mm-hmm. I, which is where I live now. And um, since I didn't go down to the state eight ball championship in Lantana, I decided to peek in there on Sunday, and it was the first time they did a standalone venue. Right for the us amateurs room, right right that i can remember because i i won it back in 2010 and they had it at a pool room and it's been in tampa right. e- ever since because they they really like tampa right. and strokers was you know the home of basically the home of the nationals for a long time but i you can tell that their partnership with diamond is kind of opening up the possibility for these kind of you know bigger setups and for us ams i feel like this was like the first and probably most complete and most beautiful presentation of that event that I've ever seen is really, really slick. You know, I posted some th- stuff to my story, but they had like three big playing areas with diamond tables, uh, all brand new four and a half inch pockets with diamond lights. And then they had a big TV arena with a beautiful kind of setup there and they had commentary. Yeah. JJ was in the booth. So, right. you know, they had the best of the best uh, setup. And it was our first year at the new venue here in Orlando, and it was just really, really nice. And um, Brett Stoudemire finally snapped it off. He's been trying mm-hmm. the last, Long you know, time. he's yeah. yeah, he's he's on the short list of guys that probably should have won it already, considering how good he is. And and just it's a tough tournament to win, you know, yeah. it really is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, it was just yeah. kind of cool to see that happen and see. Yeah, no, that, that's it's great. I mean, I know that they were very excited about you know bring it into a bigger, you know, a more of a hotel ballroom, a conventionish room type of atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work with them every month with the BD live show and, and sure. they do such a good job and professional job of everything they get involved in. So, um, yeah. you know, it's, I, I, I know, yeah, I even got a note from JJ during the, you know, the trip down there that, 
that it was that really was stepped up. Yeah, I think um, I think you know when I look at bar nobody, you know, APA probably has the most well organized run events. Like if you consider like what their nationals look like. You never miss, you never see people miss table assignments. Everybody knows where they're playing and they're talking about tens of thousands of people. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's a, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Yeah. And then mini mania and like yeah. God knows all. Yeah. So logistically they've figured out what works and how to yeah. do it efficiently. So now they're, you know, they're doing these nicer kind of events. It's just nice to see something that's, you know, equally backed up with quality yeah. equipment from diamond, you know, because yep. Now there's uniformity with every table playing exactly the same. They're all brand new diamonds. The equipment's going to be perfect. So yeah, uh, I think it's just yeah. nice to see that platform be extended to the uh, top amateurs. So, yeah, good event. And out of curiosity, because I don't, I honestly don't know much about this event. I've seen it all over Facebook, you know, around this time every year, but I just don't know a lot about it. What, what, uh, what are the criteria for playing this event? What is an amateur? Uh, it, the way APA defines amateur is percentage of income. So. If the majority of your income comes from work and not from playing pool, then you're considered an amateur. Barring, you know, somebody whose skill level is so high that they would just ask them not to play. Right. Um, so there's they have kind of a discretionary, you know, case by case thing. But assuming that you meet those criteria, you're just a really, you know, high quality, you know, working guy who wants to play pool and compete, you would just win a regional qualifier. Uh, they have those scheduled throughout the year, so you have to go compete in the regional, win the regional, and then that earns you a spot into the national. And you play in the national in the U.S. amateur format, which is a mixed format of eight ball and nine eight ball. Eight ball and nine ball. And it's yeah. double elimination to the finals, and the finals is single elimination, one race to 11, I think. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, I think, um, do you have to be APA sanctioned for it? You don't have to be an APA member to play, though. No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so like somebody like a like an Abrin Shad or uh, yeah he he's a former U.S. amateur champion yeah and I was I, was, I mean I think he's like a seven sixty Fargo if I'm not mistaken I, yeah he can't I, play I, anymore I don't think okay and then yeah. um, if I'm not mistaken um, B.J. Ushery has also played the APA national event recently he, he played a Masters event which is a yeah. team he yeah. played the team thing he had to. Yeah. You know, qualify with a team and play on a team, so is, whatever. That, but so that is, it's different than the amateurs. He, yeah. He's also barred. He's also barred. Now, yeah. Now he can't go back and play. Yeah. Okay, got you. I guess the, I mean, especially in the U.S. where we, I mean, what do you guys think we realistically have on? Uh, is there five, six touring professionals in the U.S.? Do you think we have six, five, something like that? I mean, Tyler, Shane, Shane, Sky. I mean, we're we're getting kind of thin past that, right? As far as guys who don't work, period. Yeah, that are just touring professionals. It's probably a pretty short list. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking those four. I mean, can you guys name any others? Hunter Lombardo. <laughs> yeah, he's the WPA's number one ranked American. <laughs> yeah, well, we. Should... Yeah, it's just Maybe. too easy sometimes. I would say. <laughs> I would say this kind of speaks to like a broader thing because I've had this conversation recently and I, I kind of want to create a standalone video of it just kind of discussing it because I feel like, you know, we have a lot of people that talk about, you know, wanting to, you know, proactively invest in the juniors and develop the juniors, which I, I wholeheartedly agree in. And we're seeing, you know, the fruits of that work, like yeah. the JIC and Rahanna and Mr. Uh, Wolford, Corey Wolford, and everybody that's involved in that program. You know, you saw Sophia and Adrian Prasad both make you know, the finals of the, yeah. the world juniors, which is a big accomplishment because a couple of years ago that was not happening. Right. Not at all. Not even close. Yeah. It's not close. So now there's starting to be a little bit more parody. Uh, we're still maybe a, a little bit behind the overall curve, but more competitive for sure. Um, but I think what we, what we, what, what I, the, the question that I pose is if we're developing our juniors, what are we developing them towards? because I would argue that we also need development in the professional class of play. And that's irrespective of age, it's more of just this skill level. Once we graduate juniors into this plus 700 Fargo to 800 Fargo range, we basically uh, abandon them, right? There's not an uh, incentive 
at the national level for professional caliber play. Correct. So, you know, the systems that we have in place now in the U.S., speaking of amateur pool, you know, is a lot of Fargo capped events. It's a lot of like you're, there's an incentive directly to keep your Fargo below a certain level because that keeps you in contention to play regional events. There's uh, incentives in league play to keep your skill level down so that you can go compete in league team events. Um, so we have a lot of systems that kind of promote keeping growth stagnant and no systems that promote the expansion of growth. And so that that gap from a systems level leaves us lacking world-class uh, world uh, skill, really, you know? And so we kind of feel that at the global stage when we start getting yeah. into this environment where, you know, we're, there's a lot of eyesight, a lot of like uh, publicity around world-class competition right now. I, I agree with about 97% of what you said. Okay. And, and here's where I get a little bit lost in it is that um, I don't think that that, you know, I don't know that we abandon them at a certain point. They're mm -hmm. just, you know, there's, there's the work in progress is still the next level. Mm -hmm. I also don't think that's unique to the U.S. Uh, they have great junior developmental programs in Europe mm -hmm. and they develop all these great pros and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. um, I don't know that, that that they're being groomed for anything better than what our juniors. I mean, they're, they're both being groomed for the same thing, right? Which is the matchroom WPA tournaments and see how you do and best of yeah. luck to you. Here's your, here's your visa and good luck. Um, so I don't think that it's that it's a, a U.S. issue, you know. It's a it's it's systemic. It's a pool issue, right? Well, I, I kind of I kind of look at some countries that do take a national interest in their professional players, and there is support there for them. There's support there. They're not, you know, they're not. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not living high on the hog and you know oh. pulling off their you sure. know uh, stipend from the polish government or the sure. austrian government or the you know it's just giving it's just making uh the pain of trying to be a quote professional pool player a little more palatable than it right. is here yeah and i think maybe from the outside not really knowing the ins and outs of what like a euro tour looks like or kind of those higher level leagues right the german bundesliga i've heard it be, right. i've heard it mentioned quite a bit that that's yeah. Uh, proving ground for a lot of players and they get more iterations. We don't have anything at the national level here in the U.S. that kind of keeps these iterations kind of going. We're kind of relying on outside promoters. Like now Matchroom's kind of developing more stuff, which is great. Uh, but we need like a lot of competition that's U.S.-based regionally and nationally that kind of makes that available. And I don't know about you guys, but like you know, here in South, like in Florida, in the Southeast, you know, we had the Seminole tour for a long time. And that was right. a, a, amazing. That was such a wonderful, every month I was competing against, you know, Corey and Tony yeah. Crosby and Stevie Moore and all these great players. And that's where I saw the most growth is because I had those things close right. by. And that's been gone now for a little while. And then now with Fargo restrictions, I can't well, that's, blame. Yeah, this whole, yeah, the whole thing with Fargo restrictions is what's queering what you you know, want to be, yeah. and it, you know, there are tons of tournaments around the U.S. for for players to play, and they just have to be, you know, organized a little bit more as a group, and like you know, Seminole Tours, Northeast Nine Ball Tour, you know, yeah. uh, Mez West, whatever it is, um, and be hand, you know, rate free events, right. um, and and that's how you get that. Um, that to me is where that government funding would come from. That's that's your government right. funding alternative, right? If yeah. you're you're an aspiring pro player and you need to start fattening the wallet so that you can go to the Hanoi Open, uh, sure. that's where it comes from. So yeah, there needs to be more concerted effort to uh, take what I look at now as the American version of the World Nine Ball Tour rankings events, and and putting a label on them, um, you know, regionally so that they, you know, can draw enough interest and develop players like you were talking about in South Florida. 
Yeah, because I, I see a lot of guys that are in this like 715 to 760 range, right, who aren't as active as they could be, you know, and yeah. are starting to maybe start to come out. Like we had Anthony Maglino, you know, he's a South Florida guy. Yeah. He's like a seven, he's in the high 760s, high seven. He's a seven, a lot seven, of heads. Powerful. seven yeah. is what he's at. Yeah. So like Anthony's one of those guys and I'm like, man, you, why don't you come out more and he's kind of like now he's like well everything else i'm barred from in florida now so i, I should <laughs> i may as well yeah you know so yeah we just have to get more promoters willing to have events that that yeah. cater to the top players yeah I'm, I'm just so much of a solutions guy you know and i think there's space in the american kind of you know psyche to take ownership of the current state of american pool and start kind of providing solutions to right. make it to make it worth getting off the practice table and off the couch to get up and go compete because I'm of the belief that we have world class talent and I know like we just had Federer added to Team USA as an eligible player and that's great because it makes USA more competitive right now but there's still this underlying problem of not having activity from a lot of guys that are, let's say like Anthony or like other players that are yeah, sure. like Justin Bergman, you know what I mean? A lot of these guys who just don't want to leave St. Louis or don't want to leave wherever Brian parks, who's won us amateurs five times and probably can't play anymore. You know, like there's a lot of these guys who would do well to be developed in the professional sphere. Uh, but there's a gap, I think, you know, between yeah. that, and I think it makes it shows more of what the U.S. has as a skill base to draw from. And so I think that just comes down to leadership. Uh, I think American pool is is yearning for leadership. I think they've kind of deferred a little bit, waiting for somebody to solve our problems. Like Matchroom's not going to solve our problems, nor should they. You know, well, Ian gonna... Anderson's out of a job at the WPA now, so he's available. Right. Well, there you go. So, but honestly, <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. <laughs> honestly, like looking at like at somebody like like Pat, you know, Pat Fleming, yeah. who, who you know just ran an event that I think is, you know, maybe the most American event we have in professional nine ball, yeah. and it's catered to the players. It, it pays attention to certain things that I think, you know, we've lost a little bit with this whole march towards four inch pockets and all this other stuff that Matchroom wants to do, which is I feel like more European, like more snooker in in kind of like thought which is still valuable you know but they do a lot of really good things on the, on the marketing side which i don't think let's say accustats or you know pat's crew does as well sure. but overall running a, a tournament that's professional at a high level and provides a platform for americans to showcase i would love to see more of that you know what i mean yeah. and i think he's the kind of guy who universally has respect and clout across the spectrum He's not really getting in in the middle of any of this. <laughs> I love how he's you know sanctioned by both Matchroom and WPA. I'm like, why doesn't everybody just do that, you know? And then just let them, you know. <laughs> well, this will be last year. You can do that if the rules right. stay the same, right? I right. Mean, right. Not, next year, he's he's kind of stuck. Well, he'll make he'll make a decision based on you know, right. just like everyone else, right? Yep. So, but I, I do appreciate kind of like how steadfast he is, and I feel like he's a voice that a lot of people could get behind yeah. if you were to organize something. AccuStats is a brand that everybody knows and trusts. And a lot of people are playing pool because of his impact. You know, he's a, he's a legend and we can't really like quantify how impactful he's been to the world. Like there wouldn't really be nine ball pool that Matchroom has without Pat's influence directly. So um, I think he's, he's a guy that could do something like, you know, branch out the international format six yeah. or seven different times, you know, around the US and make it regional, whatever, you know, right. assuming right. they had the, but dollars and cents, I know. So. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, are we done with that conversation? Yes, yes sir. sir. Well, I guess we really haven't even told, talked about uh, the, the international as far as who actually won. So uh, Aloysius, yeah, we kind of mentioned it. Uh, did beat David Alkaidi in the finals. Uh, yep. Victor Zelinski and Gerson Martinez were your semifinalists. Your quarterfinalists were Mario He, uh, Fedor Gors, Nayuki Oi, and Alex Pagulayan. Uh, yeah. Cool to see Alex up there again. Yeah, yeah, Alex played great. 
Alex had a, had a really good run. Um, uh, he played terrific. David Alcade, I mean, you know, solid. He's having, I think this, yeah, he's having a he's having a really good year all of a sudden. This is the best I've seen him play in in a few years because he's always kind of been like you always think of him like ah he's he's dangerous, but now you're like man he's he's like up there you know right now like playing at the top of his game and you know it's going to be coin flips to try and beat him uh, yeah I mean, I mean it's albin just lost in the finals of the hanoi open obviously but um i mean david is almost taking the kind of the place of uh, albin in my mind as far as like that that dangerous european player who's a threat to make every single finals and yeah might end starting up snapping to get, one off starting to get there starting to get there for sure yeah yeah and Albin has fallen off a little bit the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of surprised how impactful his win in or semi or his finals berth in Hanoi was for him making the team. Yeah. Me too. I thought I thought that spot was going to be you know up for grabs. Um well, it made it it made, you know, if you're first time captain like Ralph Eckert and you know, the yeah, American team just got, you know, a, a huge percentage better. Um, right. You were looking for that rationalization to play it safe. Right. right. And and it wasn't just Albin that gave it to him. It was the guys Albin was chasing that gave it to him. I mean, right. they all dove in Hanoi uh, from Moritz to Mario to, you yeah. know, uh, all those players who were in the thick of the conversation that would be rookies, um, you know, kind of took themselves out of the equation and just opened the door for Alvin and good for him for stealing it. I, I did. Sure. I do think that <clears throat> I think lost in all that was Kachi. Um, yeah. Who uh, um, I loved his post when he said, I, you know, no Moscone for me. I had a shitty year. <laughs> I, had a terrible year. <laughs> I, I honestly thought whoever the, the fourth pick was going to be, it was going to be a countryman of that person. So like I thought picking Albin was going to signal maybe a Mario or Max Lechner pick because both have been playing amazing. And then it would be like Spain, Austria, and then Shaw. Um, and then I thought maybe somebody like Moritz would get a wild card spot if he had a strong showing. And then it'd be like Moritz filler. And then David yeah. and you know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah, like, I think if Moritz would have had a stronger, you know, because you've got a German coach now. I mean, if right. Moritz would have had a stronger finish in Hanoi. Uh, he would have been able to rationalize Moritz based on that. Uh, yeah. Although he still would have been questioned taking a rookie in that situation because sure. the Europeans are a lot more scared than they ever try to let on to be. Right. Um, so, Good. Uh, you know, Good. It's, it's just a, <laughs> it's those situations. But yeah, I thought, I thought Kachi uh, uh, got kind of a raw deal on it in that. Um, well, I, in that I, I here, what can you do? Well, yeah, but but you know he and he tried to tried to play in Hanoi and couldn't get there and and yeah, then, bad, bad then, role for him. then came to but then played in the World Eight Ball, yeah, and uh, it was in Austria. And well, and when and I well. heard that that Ralph Eckert was not going to be in Austria, then I yeah. knew that his chances were were not there at all because right. I would have thought that he would have at least, uh, if he was given him any thought, would have gone there to see what his form looked like. Um, but I think it was too easy at that point to just say, okay, Alvin, you know, you wrapped it up. I think he, he talked to Alvin about it before the finals even started, uh, yeah. with Shaw. Uh, yeah. so his mind was made up early and I think it was a, uh, um, you know, it's, again, it's also a the safe, softest landing you can take a safe pick, you know, yeah. for Ralph, yeah. not having to deal with, uh, the injury questions around and watching Alvin in Hanoi looked like watching Alvin. Yeah, and yeah. he's been the most consistent, really. Yeah, so, outside of Feather, maybe now, but yeah. I told Alvin that he owed Shane, Jason, you know, some Jason's jelly after last few years. Back to back MVP. Yeah, told Alvin. No, he didn't win MVP last year. Who? Yeah, I think it was Feather. Jason Feather won MVP last year. Feather. Feather was in it last year. Feather, Feather won MVP last year. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then the two years prior. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I was drunk. I mean, by that. It's still, still a, it's still a, a pretty solid. You know, it's it's the same team they had last year, which is what made it so freaking boring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, show, us, uh, show us, show us, the depth of your talent, not the same five guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I do want to give a shout out quick 
to uh, yep. Payne McBride, who also won the uh, the um, 18 and under boys at the International Open, going yep. undefeated. Uh, yep. Beats Nico in the final. And then uh, Sophia Most uh, over Savannah Easton. So I'll give a shout out to her as well. Yeah. Team Florida. Team Florida. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then I, I guess that's uh, that's all I really have for the week. Anything Perfect. else you guys want to highlight? No. I'm, I'm good. That was great. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. We're right Thank- at the one hour mark. So perfect. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for all the fans tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I got to give a, a shout out quick to our uh, sponsors of the podcast. I know Michael Lippman was out there saying uh, he hasn't got my logos yet, but uh, Michael Lippman is a sponsor to the podcast as well as Jacoby Custom Cues, Insight Performance Coaching, uh, Billiards Digest. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Salado, uh, Digital Pool, Onboard Sportswear, and Horo Tips. And we also want to give a shout out to our uh, Patreons. Uh, Double Dave's Q, Dave Wiersma, Mo Bashir, Cody Wedig, Ed Ladawi, Matt Poland, and Morgan Lupton. And we also had a new Patreon this week that joined. So I want to give a giant shout out to Gary Wathan. Hopefully I pronounced your name right. Uh, thank you for joining our Patreon. If you want to do that, you can always find that in the description of the podcasts. And uh, with that, we'll uh, close it up this week and we'll see you all next week. Great. Have a great week.